0: We're entering into a three-week series called Stand in the Gap, and today the um, title is Holy Discontent, and I'm sure it seems like a strange title, Holy Discontent. What is a holy discontent? And basically, it's a concern that God puts in your heart, and I guarantee that every one of us at some point in our lives, there's something that that God puts there. You know, it could be some concern about what's happening in society, um, something that's happening in church, something that's happening in your community. Um, It could be a lot of different things. And, you know, for example, um, last week was Reformation. And you can't help but think about Martin Luther, that after he came to understand the gospel that salvation is a free gift from Jesus Christ, who's life, death, and resurrection, that in his day and age when he saw that the church of that time was telling people, you can buy salvation for yourself and others, you know, by spending money and paying money um, for those indulgences. And you know, Luther could have just kind of kept quiet. That would have been the easiest thing to do. But the holy discontent that God put in his heart led him to act. And he stood up against the most powerful forces walking on the planet at that time, and he took a stand. And ultimately, Christianity was led back to the word of God. And that was a very brave thing, having a holy discontent and then acting on it. Yesterday, I was in downtown Phoenix with a lot of our members, and, and we were painting houses, you know, on a Saturday morning. There's a lot of other things that could have been done, and, but for the people I was talking to that did it, um, it's like they were having so much fun, just serving. They had this discontent, obviously, in their heart. They want to make a difference in the community, and they did, and they showed the love of Christ in, in various parts of, of Phoenix. And, and, you know, I was thinking about, you know, my life as far as how God has led me. You know, I became a believer You know, when I was around 19 years old, even though I went to worship and Sunday school and youth group, before that I didn't come to faith until I was almost 19 years old. And I remember this holy discontent that God put in my heart. That I wanted everybody to come to know the love of Jesus that I came to know. And I prayed about it and and eventually I just felt this calling come over me, that this push towards becoming a pastor. And at first I tried to push it away and and it but never went away. You know, and, and I remember you know telling my family, telling my sisters about it, and they, they laughed. I thought it was really funny, you know, that and but yet here I am after 31 years in ministry, and I'm thankful that that God put that on my heart and thankful to be where I am right now. And But my calling is no more important than any one of your callings. God has a plan, a purpose for each and every one of us. And so often that plan gets set off by what's called these holy discontents. And today, in fact, the next three weeks we're going to be learning about a guy named Nehemiah. There's a book in the Bible called Nehemiah, uh, a man who um, did amazing things. It all began with a holy discontent. And I want to give you a little bit of background on what's going on. You see, Nehemiah um, was the cupbearer for the king of Persia. Okay? Very interesting job. You know, basically, you know, the king trusted him. And so before the king would eat something or drink something, guess what Nehemiah's job was? He had a taster first and um, as far as the drink and the food. And the king's kind of watching and seeing, okay... He didn't croak, so I guess I can eat this and drink this, this um, wine or whatever it is. And, but you have to be a very trusted servant to be in that role. And, and, um, but what happened was Nehemiah got some news. and kind of lets you know the time in history. You know, many years before, um, Babylon had gone into Jerusalem and basically destroyed it and a lot of the people of israel were killed many of them were brought to babylon then the persians took over the babylonians and and so many years later the, the persian king allowed for some of the you know israelites to go back to jerusalem and begin to you know start rebuilding the city and they started building the temple the problem was all the walls were in shambles okay they were basically destroyed in the siege that took place, you know, many years before. And the news gets back to Nehemiah about these walls in disrepair and in bad shape, and his heart is heavy, that ultimately God puts a holy discontent on his heart, that something has to be done about these walls, because without city walls around that city, they were open as far as attacks from their enemy. And to kind of also fill in the, the, the gaps, too, a little bit here is, is, you know, this is, you know, Daniel had been involved with the kings of, of Babylon and also Persia. There was Ezekiel. There was um, Ezra, a priest. There was a guy named Zerubbabel. Various people doing various things all had their different holy discontents, all working in various ways. But Nehemiah's part of this was God put in his heart, fix these city walls. And so what did he do once he gets the holy discontent? He prays. He prays. I want to encourage you this week to take a look at that prayer in chapter 1 of Nehemiah. It's a beautiful prayer. Just the way his heart just opens up, number one, his faith. But he's not just praying for himself. He's praying for the people. In fact, at one part he's confessing not only his sins but the sins of all the people of Israel. He's praying not just for himself, but for all the people. In fact, it kind of reminded me as I'm reading it of the Lord's Prayer, even the prayer that that we heard that Jesus said in in, um, our reading for today. But you think about the Lord's Prayer, for example. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We're not just praying for ourselves. We're praying for who? Everybody. Nehemiah was doing the same thing hundreds of years before Jesus gave us those prayers. And he's praying, you know, God... What am I supposed to do? Because so often, when you get a holy discontent, it's kind of like, okay, um, this is upsetting me. Somebody's got to do something about this. And many times in my ministry, people have walked up to me and said, Pastor John, I think this needs to be done. Do something about it. If you do that to me, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn it right back at you. Okay, God put this on your heart um, what is he calling you to do with this? How does he want you to act? You see, Nehemiah's taken ownership of it. And he's praying, God, what do you want me to do? So step one is he prayed. Step two, he got others involved with his plan, with his vision, because God had put something on his heart. We're not meant to do things alone. You've got to get other people involved. And so he does something really brave. <clears throat> he goes to the king. And the king sees him sad. And the king says, you know, Nehemiah, I hardly ever see you sad. What's going on? Nehemiah says, you know, my heart is sad for my people, the people of Israel. Because for those in Jerusalem, the walls are in shambles. And something needs to be done. And what's really interesting, read this section. As he's talking to the king, he's also praying to God at the same time. He's having two conversations simultaneously. He's not praying out loud to God, but he's talking to the king in his mind. He's praying to God for the right words to say and for the king to respond in the right way, because he really is doing something very dangerous here. Because the king does not want to lose his trusted servant. But he says, "Yo, know, King, I want to ask you a favor. I feel that I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem to build those walls." And the king says, "Well, how long are you going to be gone?" And it doesn't say how long Nehemiah said, but it says Nehemiah told him a time of period, an approximate time period. And the king said, okay. You think he stopped there? That's a pretty big ask. Okay, well, now he has permission to go to Jerusalem. He doesn't stop. He goes, by the way, king, I also need a couple other things. The first thing is this. I need letters for safe passage to the various provinces I need to go to to get to Jerusalem. Because these different provinces, um, they could block him from getting through. But yet, the king of Persia basically has command over all these different provinces. And so the king says, "Okay, now he's going to give him letters. But he also is going to send a cavalry with him to, to make sure he gets through." Okay, that's too big ask. You think he would stop right there? But he's going to ask something else. And by the way, king, um, I need supplies for this building project. And by the way. Just for your information, the city walls were two and a half miles in circumference, 40 feet high, and about nine feet thick. Talking about a big job. He says, King, I need the timber to be able to, to you know, kind of do the work that needs to done as well. In addition to the rocks, but there's timber is needed to kind of set those foundations and key pieces. And the king says, Okay, I'll make sure you have it. That's pretty brave. And the king allows him to have those things. See, he prays, and I believe God's working in the heart of this king, and probably Daniel may have worked in his heart as well over the years. And, and so what happens is, you know, he shares a vision, but the next step, what he's going to do is gonna, he's going to get to work, okay? Get to work. And so he goes through those provinces, and he goes on, and he gets to um, Jerusalem. And the first thing he does there is he surveys the damage to the walls. And that's a big area. Obviously, two and a half miles circumference. He kind of goes around, probably takes notes, and sees what he's dealing with. And then he pulls together the leaders of Jerusalem and says, here's the deal. This is what needs to get done. And as one, they say, let's get to work. Let's do this. And so he gets those leaders set. And I'm going to stop there because um, Next week we're going to pick up what happens further, but the plan is set in motion. And what's going to happen is almost the impossible is going to take place in a very short period of time. But today what I want to leave with you is this, that number one, if you have a holy discontent, what should you do? Number one, you pray. Number two, you get people involved with your concern, with your plan. Number three, you get to work. And I want to kind of bring this, you know, full circle and give some examples. And I could stand up here and tell you hours and hours of stories of people that kind of did the same type of thing as Nehemiah in various ways. And I was thinking of one person in particular um, this last week. A guy who passed away a number of years ago at my last church. And, but he lived an amazing life. And, and at one point, probably almost 30 years ago, he had a massive heart attack. And his heart stopped for almost three minutes And he was gone, and then he came back. They shocked him back. And he got through surgery. His heart was only half as strong, but after he got out of surgery, he basically said, you know, God gave me a vision during that time where I had this near-death experience. And the vision was that I am supposed to, um, you know, help pregnant women um, that need assistance, that need supplies, that need counseling, maybe need, you know, a family to adopt a child if they want that option. And he, he prayed about it, he got people involved, he set to work, and ultimately he started something called Compassion Pregnancy Centers. And he opened up five of them in Detroit. And helping hundreds and hundreds of women that um, needed assistance that were pregnant, um, as far as you know, helping the child, and helping getting supplies, and helping with counseling, adoption, um, and a very successful ministry. he lived 20 years on this heart that was barely ticking, but God kept him alive to get this plan, to get that thing going. And and I was just amazed at that kind of example. And I could tell a lot of stories about that type of thing. But what I want to do is talk about our situation where we are right now. And I want to share with you a holy discontent on my heart. As I mentioned earlier, you know, I really have a passion for people to come to know Jesus Christ. But what I'm seeing in our country, in our society, is a lot of people turning away from organized Christian churches. In fact, you know, I saw an article, I've shared it before, that you know, 20 years ago, 38% of our population was in worship on a weekend. Now it's like 18%. And I saw somewhere 13% in the Scottsdale area. And that breaks my heart. That breaks my heart. Almost all the pastors I know that have churches, their churches are in decline. And I don't want to see that happen. You know, for the first 28 years of my ministry, you know, I, I saw churches grow. That, and that was, it, but it was not about me. It's about God working through people like you. And for seven years here, we had sustained growth in our church and our school. For the last three years, um, we've seen a plateau for sure. We've seen a slight, you know, decline and even in attendance this last year. And I, in my heart, say we can't let that happen. Okay, we need to turn this around. And our school, um, we've been blessed for many years. We have an amazing preschool that is, um, in fact, a pro- the challenge of our preschool is we don't have enough, have enough room. We have 30 kids in our, in, our, we're in our two-year-old waiting list. Our preschool is phenomenal. Um, but for day school, there's a lot of competition around here that we're dealing with. And, and, um, and so God is filling gaps. As we know, we've recently received a principal, Dr. Vincent Stumpo, who's probably one of the best principals of private Christian schools in the country. And what happened is you've probably heard a story that, you know, he and his wife, rather than just go where schools were calling them to go, they decided we want to go live wherever we, in the place we want to live at in the whole country. And they chose Scottsdale, Arizona. And they just happened to be here. They came on faith, and we found them. They found us. And now he's leading our school. You know, something else that happened too is, is um, you know, we recently got a director of administration operations, Andrew Armstrong, and I approached him many months ago to ask him if he would consider the position. He said, no, it's not really what I'm thinking about right now. But then he said he prayed about it, talked to his wife more about it, and, and got mothers um, involved, and, and brothers talked to him. He changed his mind and felt, you know, I feel, feel God wants me to do this. And he now is our director of administration and operations and he's doing a fantastic job and i gotta tell you for me as a pastor as i've seen for a while our church did grow and our our staff almost tripled in size our budget doubled i found my role becoming more of a ceo business manager and i'll tell you what you don't want me to be your ceo business manager guy that's not what i'm trained to do i'm trained to be a pastor and now we have somebody in that role running our business for our church and school extremely well and so the gaps in the wall are starting to be filled, but there's still a lot more work for us to do. And a couple of the things I want to share with you. Back in June of this year, we had a congregational voters meeting. And at that voters meeting, um, we came forth with a budget with a $200,000 deficit because our enrollment had dropped significantly with our school. And I was really wondering, what's going to happen in the congregation with. 90% of the votes said, let's proceed. Let's trust God with this. Let's keep this school, let's keep everything going. And, you know, at that meeting, somebody um, handed a check to one of our leaders for 5000 bucks, saying, here's a start to cover the gap. Within two weeks, a member came to me and asked, what is the need for this year? And I laid it out to him. He went, prayed about it, talked to his wife. And what took place was he came forth with a Gift to cover the deficit for this year, and also to help us to hire the director of administration operations. And you know, but he also at the same time the same person challenged, saying, "Challenge the congregation to see if they can match this gift." And so, part of staying the gap is is going to be a challenge to all of us to above and beyond our normal giving, you know, to give something over before the end of the year or up till June of through June of next year, and. But something else, you know, happened just a couple weeks ago, too. That one of our members at the Saturday service walked up to me. And it's a couple, and they had a big smile on their face. They handed me this, this card. And I didn't get a chance to open it before the service. And I went to my office after the service, and I opened it up. There was a check for $25,000 for Stand the Gap. And that was before we really had talked much about it. And so what I'm seeing is God is moving on the hearts of our people to lead our mission in ministry forward, in stronger ways than ever before. But the key is each one of us seeing what God is placing on our heart, to see how God is going to lead us to respond. It's between you and it's between God. And I want to encourage you to be open to whatever that discontent, whatever that concern is he puts on your heart, and to act upon it. You know, today is um, a day we remember those that go before us. All Saints Sunday. And as I looked at the list of names, a lot of amazing, amazing people. One of them was one of my best friends and a mentor of mine. And I miss these people dearly. We all do. But it's a reminder to us that our time on this planet is temporary. We're here for a while. But we're going to be in heaven forever. It's a reminder to us that the most important relationship in our life is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything else in this life is temporary. But what we have in Jesus is eternal. And if our relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important relationship that we have, my prayer is that each of us aligns our lives accordingly even more. And my prayer is that we answer the discontent that God puts on our heart, that holy discontent, to pray and to... Get other people involved with the vision, the concern we have, and to get to work. And right now I want to encourage us in closing to take a couple of minutes just to pray silently to God. Maybe there's something he's put on your heart. And whatever that is, I want to encourage you to, to seek his direction and to seek how he wants you to get involved. Maybe people you might want to talk to about this and see how he's going to lead you. But also to pray for the ministry of our church and school, that we grow in even greater ways of leading more people to follow Jesus, not only here in Scottsdale, but to the ends of the earth. So take some time right now, just a couple minutes of prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, I thank and praise you for the example of people like Nehemiah who you put something on his heart and he reacted. He got involved. And the reason we're here today is most likely there's people that had something in their hearts that they responded to it and they got to work and through the ministry and work of so many people that you've worked through, we've been touched. Even this church the schools. I thank you for the people that answered the holy discontents that you put on their hearts and they responded. And and here we have this this mission and ministry. And Lord, help us to realize that you have placed us here for a reason, for a, a purpose that help us to, you know, to to see more clearly the path you have for us, to see the calling you're placing on our hearts, to realize that what matters is our relationship with you over everything else. And I pray for the ministry of our church, for our schools, to flourish in even greater ways going forward and, and to, um, even to remember and honor all those who have gone before us and, and to keep this work going in even greater ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.